0: You have a Bible with you, and I hope you do find your way over to Luke chapter fifteen. I don't care if that Bible has pages or if it swipes or clicks or whatever it does. Just uh, it's good for us to be together in God's Word to follow along together to see how God is guiding us, speaking into our lives through His Word. I That's just, I just want I ask: Have you ever been around the sorts of people who are always looking for a reason to celebrate? I mean, mean, the sort of people who just want to have a little bit of a party every day. Eight years or so ago, I I worked as a webmaster for a company down in Greensboro that at that time was known as RF Micro Devices, and the webmaster position for that company fell within the marketing department of the company. And as you can imagine, a marketing department's kind of filled with a a variety of individuals because we had... You know, some, some of the more technical sort of individuals like myself, but we also had some more creative individuals who are always looking for new ways to tell the exciting story of radio frequency devices. I know you're all on the edge of your seats wanting to learn the fascinating stories about radio frequency devices, but that's not why we're here today. On that marketing team, I worked with one lady who, who was always in that sort of mentality, always kind of looking for some sort of reason to celebrate. In fact, this lady had discovered a calendar that noted reasons to celebrate throughout the year. Every day of the year, there would be at least one, sometimes multiple reasons to celebrate on that day. And, and apparently, as I learned from this coworker, uh, for every day of the year, you can, you can find one or more holidays that, that someone somewhere has commissioned to celebrate one thing or another. In fact, there are a number of calendars that are maintained online which will notify you of the reasons why you should celebrate on any given day. And this coworker of mine used to use email to communicate to our entire group every day a listing of those reasons why we should celebrate that day. Now, for me, as a technical guy, email is a tool that must be guarded, all right? My unread email is sometimes akin to a to-do list. So, so here's what you should know. If you email me, and you don't get a response from me, it's probably because I've taken the time to read the email and say, oh, I need to take action on that. And so I mark it unread, and it stays there until I get a little block of time when I can sit down and take action on the things that are awaiting my attention. So unnecessary emails for for a guy like me who kind of uses that tool in that way are not a reason to celebrate, They just make me feel like I've got more that needs to be done on my to-do list. So even though I know this lady had a good heart and she was trying to lift the mood of her team, I ultimately found a reason to celebrate when that lady got tired of sending out her emails every day telling us about the frivolous holidays that we could be celebrating. By that point, I was ready to declare that every day would be National Wear Your Underwear Inside Out Day so that everyone could go celebrate in private and leave my email alone, if you know what I mean. Well, absence makes the heart grow fonder, I would say. So as I thought about our topic for today, I looked up a couple of those calendars online which list out the reasons to celebrate, and you will be so happy to know That today, November the 17th, is an exciting intersection of at least three reasons to celebrate. First, November 17th is Baklava Day. I know, I know, woohoo! You're all excited, right? It's also Take a Hike Day. So here's what you should do. Be sure to hit the trails as you're enjoying your baklava today, all right? And then there's my personal favorite, because November the 17th is also homemade bread day. So there's something to do when you get back from your hike. You, you can make bread, and you can eat away all of those, hike, those hiking games that you had as you were out doing some physical activity. Well, today we return once more to the parable of the prodigal son. It's that parable that closes out Luke 15, This is our fourth message through Luke 15 that we're calling God's lost and found. Because that's the consistent theme throughout these three parables that Jesus presents for us in Luke chapter 15. First, we started out with the parable of the lost sheep. And the shepherd who ultimately goes searching for that lost sheep until it is found. Then we looked at the parable of the lost coin and the woman who goes searching and sweeps the house until she finds that coin. But the parable of the prodigal son is perhaps the best known and the most beloved of all of the parables that Jesus ever spoke. So we're taking our time to mine some rich truths out of this parable. Last Sunday, we focused Primarily on that first individual who kind of takes the, the spotlight in this parable. That, that prodigal son, that wandering son, that one who squandered away his inheritance in this parable. This, this one younger son disrespectfully requests his portion of the inheritance before his father has even passed away. While his father is still leaving living he asks for this portion of the inheritance which is in essence a way of saying i wish that you were dead so that i could have what was rightfully mine and this son in this very disrespectful dishonoring sort of way takes his inheritance and he goes off to a foreign country and there he squanders it away that was the focus of our attention last week and, and ultimately, what we found with this younger son was that there came a point in his life when he was there in the pigsty, when he had squandered away everything, when he had nothing left, when, when no one would give him anything to eat, and he was resigned to do what no Jewish boy would do without bearing a great degree of shame. He found himself in the midst of the pig pen, serving the pigs, working for another man, feeding the pigs, and desiring the very food that they were eating themselves. And we talked about last week how at that point, this one came to his senses. And in coming to his senses, he stepped into true repentance and he returned to his father. But we talked last week about how ultimately the goal... What we should take away from that is the fact that all of us need to come into our senses. All of us need to come in repentance. All of us need to come to the Lord for forgiveness. But that's not the end objective. The end objective is to go beyond our senses and to find the one who does so much more than our senses could ever imagine. Because what we find is that the son who comes to the Father finds a gracious father. He finds one who bestows upon him amazing riches. That's what this younger prodigal son ultimately did. He returned to his father. He found a love that went way beyond his expectations. And this week, we're going to turn our attention to what I would say is the most prominent character in this parable. Why would you say that? Well, because while the first bit of the parable focuses on the younger younger son who ultimately goes astray, and the last bit of the parable kind of focuses on the older son who has stayed home but is not going in to celebrate the banquet with everyone else, Really, all of the parable is consumed by the father of these boys. And this father, we find, loves them and reaches out to them. And he invites them both to come home. And like those calendars that once filled up my email inbox, the father in this parable who represents God, our heavenly father, is always searching for a reason to celebrate but the reasons for his this father's celebration are are not frivolous reasons no the father in this parable has his eyes on the horizon searching for his lost son to come home and when his lost son comes home this father initiates a great celebration and so here's the lesson that we find here God the Father is always, always searching for a reason to celebrate. And he celebrates with the number one. When when one individual repents, when one lost sinner comes home, when one individual who was once dead in his or her sins finds life by turning to the Heavenly Father, today's passage shows us that we can be sure that God the Father is celebrating. So take a look at this passage once again. And you'll see what I mean. Luke chapter 15. We'll start in verse 11. If you're able. I'd ask that you might stand. That we can honor the reading of God's word together. Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 11. Hear this parable once more. And he, that is Jesus, said. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his Father. Father. Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up And go to my father and will say to him Father I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son Make me as one of your hired men So he got up and came to his father But while he was still a long way off His father saw him and felt compassion for him And ran and embraced him and kissed him And the son said to him Father I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of his servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and said to his father, Look, for many years I have been serving you. And I have never neglected a commandment of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and was lost and has been found. Here ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Just a quick reminder that Jesus speaks this parable into the midst of the scribes and the Pharisees, as well as those who were tax collectors and known sinners. The scribes and Pharisees, the religious elites of Jesus' day, were kind of standing on the outside. They were looking in at Jesus, and they couldn't believe that Jesus was allowing such notorious sinners in to listen to him, in to eat with him. And so when Jesus delivers this parable, he's delivering it to the grumbling of those who can't believe that one who supposedly represents God would let those who are so far from God in close to hear what he's saying. But what's so amazing about this passage is that our God has a love for the lost that keeps him always searching for a reason to celebrate. That's what the father in this passage has been doing. When that tiny little speck of a person appears on the horizon. This father shows that he has been looking. He has been searching. Because while that little speck. While that little guy was still a long ways off. According to verse 20. His father saw him. And felt compassion for him. And ran To him. Well, how did that father see his son so far away? Well, it's apparent that this father has been looking for his son. He's been searching for his son. Just as the shepherd was searching for the sheep and the woman was searching for her coin, this father had been searching for his son. He had a deep and abiding love for his son. That fed a deep and abiding longing that this wandering son would come home. And so he searched. He hoped. He waited. He longed for the lost one to come home. Because that's the heart of our God. He is searching for a reason to celebrate. And he celebrates when his lost and dead and wandering child comes home and finds life and receives safety and security. And friends, you should know that God wants the lost to be found. And if we as a church are going to accomplish the mission that Jesus has given to us, then we must be actively searching for the lost and making it our prize to welcome them back home, restored and redeemed. By the God who created them. These are rich lessons for us. Here in this passage. About the love of God. The love of one who searches for a reason to celebrate. And ultimately how that love is made known. And these lessons are important for us to learn. If we are going to be faithful to our commission. The great commission. To make disciples of all the nations. Because that's a commission that requires every member Of Christ's church to join in God's great search in love for a reason to celebrate. And the reason is the same, that same reason which thrills God's heart. We must be searching so that those who are lost might be found, so that those who are dead might find life. So let's look now at five characteristics of a love that searches for a reason to celebrate. First is this, love that searches for a reason to celebrate prioritizes people over pride. When Jesus spoke the words of Luke chapter 15, he spoke to individuals who lived in a culture where honor and shame were very important to every individual, to every family, to every community. The chief objective for individuals living in this time, for for most families, was that they might preserve the integrity of their family name. There was an implicit pride in living within a family that had not subjected itself to public shame. And yet, because of his great love, we find that the father in this parable prioritizes people over pride. That's just the sort of father that he was. Even when his son was down in the pig pen, even when his son had nothing to eat, When he came to his senses in verse 17, we read that this son knew that his father's hired men had more than enough bread. That is, this father was was giving to his servants more than they had earned, more than they deserved. This was a generous father. The son knew that his father was a generous person, someone who had prioritized people. So when that son was in the pig pen he resolved to go to his father. Now that would be a pretty bold thing to do. In light of all that this son had done in sinning against his father, in sinning against heaven. You see, by asking for his inheritance early, he had essentially told his father that I'm prioritizing my own needs above your needs because he's taking the inheritance and he's using that for his own purposes, for his own living that would be a loose sort of lifestyle as the scripture says here and to cash out on his inheritance this younger son would have had to have sold this third of the estate that had come to him now that estate was primarily held in land so you can imagine that for this wealthy father to give to his son a third of the inheritance and then have that inheritance cashed out on so that the son could go to a foreign land what the son essentially had to do was to bring public shame to the entire family among the whole community as he sold that land to others who lived nearby to cash out, take his proceeds, and go live in that foreign country. Everyone in town knew about this young man. Everyone knew about the wrong things that he had done. Everyone knew about the shame that this family bore. And if this father had only been concerned about his pride, then there would be no way that this son could even approach him. But this son knew his daddy better than that. He knew from his past experiences that his father was an approachable father. And so he says, I will get up and go to my father. Because he knew that his father could still be approached His father prioritized people over pride. He also knew that his father would listen to him. That's why the son says in verse 18, I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him this and that. This son knows that his father will not only allow him to get close, but he will also listen to him because that's the love of a father for his son. And that's the love of God for you. If you are apart from Him, you need to know that this is His love for you. If you are coming to your senses, if you are realizing that all of your own efforts to attain joy by your own power end you in an empty sort of state, then you need to know that this Father has compassion for those who have exhausted themselves. This father has compassion for those who have wronged him. His pride is not his chief treasure. His children are his chief treasure. So when the sun came over the horizon, verse 20, his father saw him and he had compassion for him and he did not allow him to get near only. No, not only did he allow him to get near, he actually goes running toward this son to meet this one who is repentant along the way and i will say that some people know all too well that they are sinners some people are like those who are gathered around jesus as he's telling this parable and they've been told time and time again look you're rotten man you shouldn't be doing the things that you're doing you know that's wrong and they've owned it i mean they've owned the the depth and the severity of their own sinfulness but some folks who know all too well that they are sinners and who are so deeply convicted of their sin simply cannot believe that a holy God would receive them with all that they've done. But Jesus is showing us here in this parable a story of a father who welcomes his pride-crushing son close. And he's doing that to show you precisely this. Our God will never turn away a sinner who has repented of his or her sins. Our God will always welcome the one who turns to him and seeks to be forgiven by him. In fact, our God put his pride aside in order that he might reside with sinners like you and like me in the person of Jesus Christ. And he was crucified to give us life. Though he was by very nature God, Philippians chapter 2 says, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking on the form of human flesh and being found as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, do you want to know what it looks like to prioritize people over pride Look to the Lord Jesus, because he has lived this very thing in our midst. And love that searches for a reason to celebrate prioritizes people over pride. That's the first characteristic of the love that searches for a reason to celebrate. Here's the second one. Love that searches for a reason to celebrate resolves to receive the lost rather than recouping the cost. When the prodigal son comes to his father, he has amassed a great debt. He has, in fact, taken his father's inheritance and he squandered it away. And the father in that culture would have been expected to react in a certain sort of way. A father in that culture would have been expected to require his son to remain apart from the family. Outside of the city gates for a certain amount of time where he would be subject to... To public ridicule and mockery and shame, as perhaps the townspeople would come by and spit on him to let them know of their disgust and their disdain for what he had done. And so, the expected thing for that father to do would be to leave his son out there, outside of the city, until he had paid all of his debts, until he had worked and remained outside of the family, until he had paid off what he had borrowed and lost. And then and only then would he have an opportunity to come to the Father and present his case and perhaps maybe be restored to the family. But that's not what this Father does. Because this Father, who represents our Heavenly Father, resolves to receive the lost rather than recouping the cost. But there's something that the Father that this parable represents can do that we should recognize no earthly father can do. Because here's the reality. Our Heavenly Father is not lacking in what He can provide. Though we have wronged Him a thousand times over. Though we have taken what He has given to us so richly and we've spent it on worthless pleasures. We have not exhausted our account with Him yet. Though the costs that we've amassed may seem great. His account has not been diminished. So take hope weary sinner you haven't exhausted your account with the god of heaven yet if there's still breath in your lungs and then there is still grace and mercy in abundant supply from your heavenly father for you and so he overlooks our wrongs in order to receive us when we determine to go home but did you notice what the son said to his father ultimately what he said he had rehearsed, I mean, he spent this little time there in the pick saying, look, I'm going to go, and when I get to my father, here's the things that I'm going to say, and he rehearses that in verses 18 and 19. We, we read that he made a resolution. He said, I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him three things. First, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Secondly, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Thirdly, make me as one of your hired men but when the son is greeted by his father in verse 21 he tries to get all of that out and we read and the son said to him number one father i've sinned against heaven and in your sight like he planned to say secondly i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the son never gets to that third statement he never gets to say make me as one of your hired men But Because before he commits to becoming a slave to his father, his father interrupts in verses 22 and 23. That's where we read, but the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. You see, the father wasn't out to recoup his costs. He was determined to receive the lost. And my friends, that's why God paid the cost for us. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So do you know what he did? He essentially said, you know, that debt that you owe me, that list of wrongs that you've amassed against me, I'm going to pay that debt in full. I'm not out to recoup the cost from you, is what Christ essentially said in His coming and in His bearing the debt that we owed on the cross of Calvary. And now He calls for calls for those of us who join his family by faith to pursue the lost along with him, to join him on his mission. But let's just just acknowledge this. His example is a hard example to follow. Because listen, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we must resolve to receive the lost rather than recouping the cost. And some of you are here today and, and there have been some terrible wrongs that have been committed against you. you. You've got family members, or you've got friends, or you've got co-workers who've said some mean things, or they've taken what was rightfully yours, or they've neglected you, or they've done any number of wrongs against you or those that you love. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to learn to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute us and to return good for evil because that's a heart to receive the lost rather than to recoup the cost and so I just want to ask you is there any unforgiveness in you is there a root a spirit of bitterness in you that says not till that person repays Not till that person has has done their due diligence, has served their time, has paid the price. Only then will I be willing to shower grace and mercy. Is there unforgiveness in you? When you gather at the workplace or around the Thanksgiving table in the coming weeks, will there be anyone there or maybe anyone who's not allowed to be there because... You won't allow them to be there. Someone whom you're refusing to forgive. Is there anyone whom you're saying, when they pay me back, then I'll be nice again? If so, then you've probably got a little bit of junk in your life that needs to be cleaned up. Because love that searches for a reason to celebrate, resolves to receive the lost rather than recouping the cost. That's the second characteristic of love that searches for a reason to celebrate. Here's the third. Love that searches for a reason to celebrate remains committed until the sinner's return is completed. That's the father's heart in this parable. And that's God's heart for you. He longs for the lost. This father saw his son while he was still a long ways off. That is, while he was still down on the horizon, his father was watching that horizon he was committed to welcoming his son home he would not take his eyes off of that barren road hoping that just that one person would crest the horizon because god remains committed until the sinner's return is completed he'll never give up on you he wants you back like the father in this parable What causes him to celebrate is receiving his children back safe and sound. And let me just say, if your heavenly father is not on your mind, like if you're going through your everyday activities and you very rarely even give a thought to what God would have you doing or saying or the situations that you're getting yourself into, if your heavenly father isn't on your mind, you're still on his mind he's committed to you until your return is complete but but if your heavenly father hasn't been on your mind it's probably because you've been pursuing the wrong things you see this son didn't want to think about his father when he was there with the prostitutes this son didn't want to think about his father when he was squandering his inheritance with loose living And so I ask, is your mind early and often found thinking about your heavenly father and his will for your life? If not, I submit to you that you may have snuck into the pig pen without even knowing it. And yet the father's response on his son's return makes it clear that he had been thinking about his departed son all along. He was quick to embrace and show love to his son he had a love that had been constant even as the pain that he experienced had been real and so if you're apart from God you should know that you bring him real pain but you should also know this his forgiveness for the repentant is total and immediate and complete There are no grudges, just as with the prodigal. The past pain can be washed away with waves of joy when God's children return to him. Love that searches for a reason to celebrate remains committed until the sinner's return is completed. That's the third characteristic of love that searches for a reason to celebrate. Here's the fourth. Love that that searches for a reason to celebrate withholds the blame and bears the shame. That's what this father does. He doesn't take the time to say, do you know what you've done to me? Do you know how many sleepless nights I've had watching and waiting for you to come home and dealing with the junk that you left here at home? He doesn't start with a lecture. He starts with love. And it's a love that would have been considered shameful in the day in which Jesus preached this parable. Because in that day, you've got to realize, grown men didn't run okay i mean it's still a pretty awkward thing sometimes to see a grown man running anyhow right i mean it's not like this dad saw his son on the horizon said okay i'm gonna go grab my nike jeans or or my nike shorts and and i'm gonna you know put on a nice sweatband so that i can head out and make a good run out of this sort of thing immediately when he sees his son he goes running to him this was not a day when your clothing would be very well accommodating for a run all right you had long robes wrong gowns which would go all the way down to the ground so for a father to run he had to hike that thing up and it was it was considered very disrespectful for a father to show his legs in this day he would have to gird up his loins he would have to free up his legs if he was going to go running to that son who was coming home john macarthur said at this point if the pharisees and the scribes those who were there listening to jesus teach this parable he said, if they were standing on anything at this point, they fell off. Because it would have been shocking in this day to hear of a grown man running to his son the way that this father goes. It would have been shameful for him to do so. Not to mention that when this father was done running, he ended up at a son who was fresh out of the pigsty. He would have been tattered and torn, nasty and stinky. But still the father ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him. He literally fell on his neck according to the original language. This is the father lavishing his love on his son. But he doesn't stop there because this father was determined to bear the shame. There would be no mocking this son of his who had come home. There would be no standing outside of the city gates to be experiencing the ridicule and the shame. This one would be welcomed back into the family. His shame would be covered. That's what the father orders. He calls for the best robe to be brought out of the house. That's what he sends his servants to go and get. Now that best robe... I mean, that robe that would have been reserved for very formal occasions. That robe which would have been worn in weddings. That that robe which would have been worn when, when dignitaries came into town. That was the father's robe. I mean, he was the head of the household. He would have owned the best robe. And so he orders for his own robe to be brought out. This one reserved for special occasions. The best garment in the house. Can you imagine meeting a guy who's come fresh off of the farm, all right? He's still got a little pig slop, a little bit of what the pig has on the other end on him as he comes and he smells like the pigs when he comes to your house. And then all of a sudden you decide you're going to get out your best suit or your best dress or your best coat and put it on this one who's tattered and nasty and dirty. Not the sort of thing that you would expect to happen, Unless you were trying to cover what seemed to be wrong with this one. And that's what the father's doing in this moment. The sun comes up on the horizon, he comes with all this filth on him, and everyone would easily see this is a guy who's made the wrong decisions. This is a guy who's been in all the wrong places. This is a guy who's done the wrong things. But the father runs to him. To cover his shame. Your friends, do you know that's what we have in Christ? Do, do you know that? We read likewise, our Heavenly Father in Isaiah 61, chapter 10. Uh, Isaiah says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Friends, our God bears the shame. He bore it in the body of Christ on the cross. Jesus was mocked and beaten, scorned and abused. And yet God bore that so that you wouldn't have to. And when you come to faith in Christ, when you entrust your life to Him, you are covered with His righteousness when God looks at you, he no longer sees the nasty, tattered, torn pigsty that you used to live in. He sees the righteousness that he has covered you with in Christ. He sees his son, sinless and flawless, the one who died for you so that you might be in him. If you are in Christ, then there is no more need for you to be ashamed. And The father in this parable doesn't just cover his son with a robe he also calls for a ring that is the family signet ring if there was any official businesses was going to be transacted by the family they would put wax on an envelope for example and they would press that ring into the wax and that would be a way of saying that this is authorized by the family this one who was welcomed was not welcomed as a slave he was welcomed as a son He was welcomed back into the family. He wanted to be a farmhand, but his father refused his offer. And instead said, I'm going to restore you not as a farmhand, but as a son. Likewise, these sandals that the father calls for. These are a communication that this son would no longer be required to be considered a slave. This son would not have to work his way back into his father's good favor. Because in that day, slaves didn't have shoes. Slaves didn't have sandals. Only members of the family had shoes or sandals. And so when the father calls for sandals for his son's feet, he's telling everyone, this guy's not coming home as a slave. He's coming home as a son. And that's the reception that welcomes you when you come to Christ. That's the reception that welcomes you when you come to your senses and you turn away from your own selfish pursuits, when you turn to the God who created you, the God who deserves glory from you, the God who you call for you to entrust your life to Him. When you turn to Him, He receives you not as one who needs to pay back all the wrongs that you've done, He receives you into the family, He receives you as a son or as a daughter listen to this, the Greek word that describes how this father ran to his son in verse 20 is a word that was used to describe those who sprint in a race in a stadium. That is, Jesus isn't just describing a casual run here. He's not describing a dad jog across the yard to grab the football that's rolled into the woods. All right, he's describing an all-out sprint. This dad can't get to his boy fast enough. And hear me on this, friends. Some people think that our God is a reluctant Savior. But He is not. He is not a reluctant Savior. For anyone who will turn to Him, He runs to greet. He runs to welcome. He runs to restore sonship, adoption into His family. And if any of you have come back to the Father, you've found this same thing. If any of you have turned in repentance, you know that he's ready to save and ready to forgive and ready to give you a high standing in the family. I can attest from my own moments of repentance. Before I ever made it back to God, God met me on the road, running to meet my need. And it's no wonder that we Christians sing hymns like amazing grace. When we contemplate passages like this, that illustrate the depths of God's grace. God's riches that he bestows on us when we don't deserve them. They're so deep and it's so richly portrayed in this father and his gifts to his son. And that's the giving God that we find when we come to him. Those who come to him with humble hearts can know that God runs to greet us and wrap his arms around us and welcome us home love that searches for a reason to celebrate withholds the blame and bears the shame that's the fourth characteristic of this sort of love here's the final one love that searches for a reason to celebrate welcomes the famous sinner to the family dinner that's what the father does here he orders this great feast with the fatted calf now the fatted calf would be something kind of like that royal robe reserved for special occasions would have been a grain-fed animal, just fatted up, ready there to be used for special occasions, special celebrations. And this fatted calf would have fed probably around 200 individuals. So what this father is doing is he's preparing a celebration, not just for he and his son to go in and have a nice quaint little dinner. He's inviting the whole community in. He's letting everyone know that this son of mine has come home. And this for me is not a moment of shame. This is a moment of celebration. That's what the father's saying when he sends for the fatted calf. And he invites his workers into the celebration. He says, let us eat and celebrate. And what do they do? They begin to celebrate. Listen to this, friends. God knows how to throw a party. God knows how to throw a party. U- ultimately, when his oldest son comes near, what, what, what do we find? We find that he, that he hears music and dancing. Now, I kidded around a couple of weeks back about having the bingo event last night and how well, before you knew it, we'd have dancing. Well, we have dancing here on a regular basis. Some of you remind me about that in our Zumba class, our Faith Fit class And there was a long time in the history of the church when individuals would have been disciplined for dancing. But look, God, in his example of himself celebrating one who would come to him by faith, this child who was lost being found, this one who was dead being brought to life, God celebrates in such a way that includes music and dancing and this father that represents him. And here we see that God is not a stick in the mud. He's no fuddy-duddy. He's not some angry, bearded guy waiting to pounce on poor sinners like you. Rather, Jesus told us that when this boy came home in rags, the father ran out to meet him. Once he had confessed his sin, the prodigal was part of this great and happy and festive and joyful celebration. And isn't it amazing? God throws a party for rebels like us. This is a miracle of God's grace. This is not something this boy deserved. This is not something that Jeremy Parker deserved. It's not something that any of us deserved. But that, my friends, is what God offers to those of us who come to Him. He offers to make a big fuss over us. And it says at the end of verse 24, they began to celebrate. This is just the start of things, my friends. And when we look at this from a heavenly perspective, this is what our hope is based on. The celebration has just begun. Because the celebration in Christ will never end. God offers to us eternal life, eternal celebration. That's what heaven is all about. A never-ending party. It's the endless celebration of the grace of a loving father to the penitent, believing sinners. That's what eternity is. Heaven's joy will never end when a sinner comes home. And God doesn't hold off the party for some mass crusade preaching event where thousands of individuals get saved in some stadium somewhere. No, the party starts when how many sinners repent? Just one. Just one. And so I ask you once again, as we strive to to live out this sort of love that searches, this sort of love that longs for individuals to be found, if you are in Christ, who is your one? Who is the one person that you are praying for on a regular basis? Who is the one person that you're going out of your way to encounter with the gospel who's the one person that you're praying god you know i don't feel like i'm really good at sharing this gospel sort of thing but but would you give me strength just to have a little conversation would you give me strength just to give me you know a, a little question that i could ask where, where do you stand spiritually what do you, what do you believe about jesus who's your one that you're going out of your way to reach I, i've got my one an individual that works here in the community actually when I started praying about finding one I had another in mind who works at the same place and I began to kind of reorient my day to try and find opportunities to encounter this one but but he wasn't there in the workplace this other guy was and actually found out that there's another guy that lives with him they're both lost how do I know I asked him Do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs no yeah I didn't really grow up in a place where that was an important thing And in the midst of that conversation, I'm just trying to find ways to go in a great gospel, in a conversation. Not because I'm some great evangelist, not because I've got everything worked out, but because I believe there truly is a God who truly does save, who truly does long for the one who is lost to come home. Do you believe it, my friends? If so, are you gearing your life around it? Who is your one Are you praying for someone? Are you seeking to enter this great and joyous celebration to bring the party of heaven to bear upon the life of just one? Jesus is showing by his actions what he is teaching through this parable that he is willing to bear the shame of being with the wrong crowd, he's willing to bear the shame of being in the midst of these tax collectors and sinners if it might open the door for just one to come and just one to enter into heaven's celebration. And the attitude that Jesus has here must be a fundamental foundation to our accomplishing of our mission. God doesn't want believers to isolate themselves from the world to the degree that we never relate to those who are lost. Jesus was constantly out among people, especially people who didn't know God. And though some of them grumbled that he had the wrong associations, Jesus knew why he was building relationships like that. He knew that something might develop that would influence a person who did not know God to consider him more seriously. This is how Jesus encountered individuals like Matthew, the tax collector, or Zacchaeus. That short little tax collector, the chief tax collector, whom he encounters later in Luke's gospel. You see, this father, maybe on the outside, in the appearance of things to us, may look like he's not at all concerned about his own honor. I mean, he may look like he's willing to just bear heaps and heaps of shame in such a way that would just cause him to be dishonored and disregarded. But for individuals who have that sort of mentality, I would say you don't understand where God's honor comes from. Because God's honor comes from His steadfast love and grace and mercy. The fact that He never relents in these things is why we honor Him. And so I just want to ask you, are you the prodigal who needs to hear this truth? Or, Or maybe... You know someone in your circles, in your world, who God has a heart for to come home. Maybe for you, you're like really experiencing the prodigal experience of a child who's gone astray. A child who's walked away from the family. There's a book called Praying for Your Prodigals, in which I read this letter of one mother to her son. My son... I remember an adorable boy who was so eager to call me mama and who gave me spontaneous hugs and kisses. You loved to eat any and all of my food and made me feel like the best cook in the world. You couldn't wait to tell me something you learned about an animal. You were excited to show me the latest yo-yo trick or skateboard move. You brought me your many Lego creations so that I could tell you what a great job you'd done. I also remember your stubbornness. And always hoped you would use it to change your world, but instead you've used it to change mine and others who love you. Our hearts ache because we miss you, the real you, the one who is strong for the weak and who makes everyone feel safe. I can't begin to tell you how many times during the past five or six years I've asked God if I'm somehow to blame for the change of direction you made. Was I too strict? Was I not strict enough? Did I show you the love and the grace that is Jesus? Was I too much of a hypocrite? Then I start to figure out what I would do differently if I had a chance. Would I affirm you more and correct you less? Would I discipline you and guide you more gently? I realize I'm trying to rewrite the past and that's something that can never be done no matter how much I wish it could. And I remember that I am to forget those things that are behind and to strain toward what is ahead. But next, I start to worry about now and where you are and what you're doing. And I stare at the glow of the alarm clock in my room and wonder what you're with or who you're with at 1.30 in the morning and why you're not answering your phone or your texts. But here, the comforter draws me near and whispers that I'm to be anxious for nothing. You see, dear heart, You don't belong to me. You never have. Your mama and your daddy gave you back to God. And I believe that he has a plan for your future. And that he will finish what he started in you. So with this letter I write. That you may never see. I pray that you know one thing. And it's very important. I pray that you know that my arms are wide open for your return. Anytime you're ready. No matter what you've done, we'll face it together. Because his arms are ready too, you know. He awaits your return. He will be dancing and spinning and celebrating with the best of them. He misses you more than I do. He paid a great price to know you. And every day that you're away seems like an eternity. So make haste, my son. We're waiting. Daddy, Jesus, and I. We're fattening the calf and preparing The party. We are standing in the yard, shielding our eyes from the sun, hoping to catch a glimpse of you coming over the horizon. That day cannot come soon enough. Arms always open. Mama. Can you imagine that heart? Some of you know that heart all too well. That's God's heart for every one of his children who is apart from him. And like a mother who writes her letters and sends them and never knows if her child reads them, God has written His love letters for you and for me throughout the ages. And those who do not know Him need to hear these love letters. They need some delivery into the lives of those who do not know Him. And so God calls for us to be his messengers. God calls for us to be those who would deliver his love letters to his children. Are we carrying out this work? Do we truly have a heart that searches for those who are lost? And so I just want us to close with a a little time of reflection here today, a little time when we evaluate our own lives and say, where do I fit into this whole story? What contribution do I have to make to the great party that this father offers once his child comes home? First of all, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that it is time for you to receive the love of the Father who waits for you to return. But for those of us who are Christians, those of us who are pursuing the joy of God, are we doing everything that we can to make this glorious gospel known to those who need to hear it? because that's the heart of our God. So I'm going to close this with a time of prayer, and then we're just going to have a little time of invitation wherein we can pray for our prodigals. Maybe it's a prodigal in your own family. Maybe it's a child that's gone astray. Maybe it's someone that you know. Maybe it's your one that you just want to spend a little time bowing on your knees before the Lord praying for. Or maybe you are the prodigal that God has in store today to hear the good news to hear that the father's arms are wide open to hear that he welcomes you home and offers you not condemnation in a time when you're going to have to repay the debts you owe but that he's paid it all in full that he sent his son to die on your behalf that he is offering to you life if that's something you need to respond to then I invite you to come as we share in a final time of invitation would you pray with me God your love is so amazing so overwhelming, so much beyond what we could ever imagine. And Father, I just pray that as we seek to bind our hearts to yours, on this day, you would guide us, O oh Lord. Help us to have a heart that searches for those who are lost. Help us to have a heart to go after the one who is hungry and in need. Father, I just pray, if there are prodigals in our own lives, maybe even the one that we look at in the mirror, that you would guide us, O oh Lord, to find hope and redemption. You would guide us, O oh Lord, to put feet to our faith. You would guide us, O oh Lord, to represent the one who welcomes the sinner home. because you deserve. This celebration, oh Lord. You deserve the glory. So guide us in these moments, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.